Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Show. I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And this is our monthly episode for the month of October, recording between episodes three and four of the new series of Doctor Who. Rob, I haven't spoken to you for two weeks. How are you? I I know it's been a little while, Dave, uh, since we last caught up. Uh, I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. And uh, I'm looking forward to this episode where we'll finally get to hear your thoughts, of course, on Rosa. Yes. So what we have in store for you this month, listeners, is we will be doing our usual news and mini topics. But our main topic is going to be a look back over series 11 so far. Uh, We have our hot take reviews, which we've released every week. And Rob, you've been doing a very good job getting those out quickly. Thank you. But this is this is this is going to be a more relaxed and um, generic chat about them. And, and and yes, as you said, I haven't had a chance to talk about Rosa yet. But thank you to Steve from New to Who for uh, filling my place. Yeah, champion effort to step into a totally different show format and just nail it on the first go. That was great. Yep. No. Very much appreciated. And of course, we've also got a bunch of long-form emails from people. Uh, We've used a lot of your tweets in our weekly shows, but here we've got a lot of long-form emails, and we're going to go through those, and they'll help us uh, talk about the episodes uh, we've seen to date as well. That's right. We did decide, Rob, that we would stick to quick hot takes for our hot take episodes and store the uh, less hot takes and the longer-form ones for this, and that's exactly what we've done. We have a bunch to go through, which will hopefully prompt some discussion from us as well. Absolutely. So let's crack into the news. So the first thing is something that went around earlier this week, and I don't know whether this is news or fake news or partial news, but it is a story that there may be a longer gap than expected between this series of Doctor Who and the next. Uh, what the article and variations of it that have popped up in other areas have, has said is that whilst Chibnall has written a lot of the next series, the BBC hasn't actually started filming the next series. And if that's the case, it's going to be more like 18 months between the series rather than the 12 months, or or I guess 12 months less, 10 10, 10 weeks. Yeah, it's... Oh, look, I, I read this report and I thought... Could someone be making this up? Oh, they could be. But if they're not, oh, really, guys? Are we really going to do this long gap again? You only make a 10-episode now series. Compared to US series where they crack out 24 or 26 episodes, you're making less than half of that. And you what, you can't turn it out year after year? That is hopeless. And I, I'm sorry to sound so wound up about this, but I'm, I'm, I'm just getting so sick of it that they can't turn out just a small amount of episodes on an annual basis. It is not hard. What the hell? Yeah, I had a couple of thoughts that I just want to mention. Uh, the first is when I was discussing this with uh, Rob and Mark from 42 to Doomsday, just in, in our chat group with uh, my friend Richard, and I think it was Mark who actually made the point and said, We know the BBC was very ambivalent, if not negative, towards the last Capaldi season. We've seen that in these these quotes they've been dropping in their attitude. They clearly did not think very highly of the Capaldi era. Were they waiting to see how Jodie's first series went before they actually lit the green light and said, we will actually film the next one? 
Yeah, look, that that's quite possible. And hopefully now that they're seeing, you know, there's there's some good momentum with this. There is some real interest in it. I think, you know, we'll get to the uh, stats on it a bit later. But I, I think it's doing well enough and already better than Capaldi's final series and probably his first and second as well for them to mm, have a bit yes. of confidence. Even at this point, you know, tell Chibnall to get writing, get the episodes out for next year grow up be a real tv show put out 10 episodes a year it's not hard yeah look i'm fundamentally with you rob i've i've mentioned before that there's a lot of series in the us that yeah okay they have the luxury of doing 20 to 24 episodes a year which means you can split them across and 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 you know effectively come, take 9 months a year but what it means is you're never more than 3 months away from the next episode of a series mm. and that's a gap that can be covered by uh, social media and enthusiasm and build, etc., etc. And I do think that's still the benefit of any show, and I think it is to the detriment of Doctor Who to have a gap. That said, if you have a big enough hawk, you don't need momentum to get an audience back. Jodie Whittaker's casting was unquestionably a very, very big hook, mm. and it didn't matter how big the gap between uh, the end of Capaldi and the start of Jodie, people were always going to tune in. And if they've got that sort of a hook to get you back... It's less of an issue. But if you're just doing regular series, I, I agree. You, you should never be too far away from the next episode. And, and and that might be you're never more than a year away from the next episode. I'd like to be less. But if you do 10 episodes, then you wait and do 10 at the same time. You are 42 weeks away from the next one. And that's better than 18 months. Mm. Look, I, I hear you on all counts, Dave. And, and to a large part, I agree. But I'm just, I just wonder whether it's not taking the audience for granted sometime when you do have that big hook and you know they'll always come back. Does it create a situation where, oh, we can just put it out 18 months from now. Oh, we can put out some mediocre stuff. Oh, we can do this, we can do that. It doesn't matter because the audience is there. And I think during the Capaldi era, the audience really started to taper off, especially... Uh, Oh, look, I'm not going to generalise and point to any one segment of fandom, but, you know, with an older guy in the role who some of the fans weren't too interested in, they rapidly started to drop off when uh, he wasn't turning up regularly on TV screens and they didn't like the look of him and all this. So uh, the audience can turn. It's not always going to be there. Yeah, and the more you make the audience look for it, the harder it's going to be for them to come in. If the audience knows, I tune in at this time on this day, Every week, and there'll be Doctor Who that's very easy. We've seen before when the show gets moved up and down the schedules, uh, it starts at different times, that sort of thing. It can be detrimental to it. Look, I stress, of course, this could all be rumour, uh, and it could be that we are going to get a new series, so I'm not getting too worked up, but it would be disappointing to have all this momentum, all this goodwill, and then have an 18-month gap. Look, I, I agree, and it does dovetail into the next news piece, which uh, I'm going to lead on here, Dave, and that's Mandip Gill, who, of course, is Yaz on the show, has uh, been talking, uh, this was on a daytime talk show called This Morning in the UK, and, you know, they always ask about, you know, what's coming up on the show and, you know, what's coming up in the future, and Mandip was fairly coy on, on two sort of counts. One was... She said, you know, who knows where we'll end up at the end of this series. There are three companions now, but who knows where we'll end up. That's one thing. Uh, another thing is she said, I don't know if there's another series. Now, I know that could be playing cutesy a bit and that sort of thing, but it does make me sort of think if there is a delay and she can't really say anything like, oh, yeah, of course, we'll be back this time next year, same bat time, same bat channel. 
uh, maybe there is some truth to that rumor and she's kind of, this is her way of sort of playing around with that by saying, oh, I don't know if there's another series and, and such. And, and of course, this other issue of, you know, we don't know if the companions will all show up. Does that play into Dave? I think I said it in our first uh, weekly review. Is the series going to end with Graham dying and Ryan saying, oh, Grandpa, you know, for the first time? Is that going to happen, Dave? Yeah, I mean, that coyness definitely could be because there are plot reasons for it. It could also be because they haven't signed contracts yet and the BBC is waiting. I I don't know what contracts these regulars are on, whether they're uh, one year with options or two or three years or, 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 or the like. If they are one year with options, the BBC may not have exercised those options yet. Well, indeed, and that plays into what you were saying uh, a moment ago, that maybe the BBC were waiting to see how the series did before they greenlit a new series. Maybe they're waiting to see how it does before they exercise those options. Yeah, absolutely. We have said a number of times, Rob, that the casting of Jodie Whittaker along with the appointment of Chris Chibnall, was a gamble. It's a gamble that seems to have paid off phenomenally well, but it was a gamble. And if I was a bean counter at the BBC, I would be waiting to see if it pulled off before I actually exercised options. So that, that is a reasonable thing for me, and it is possible. This isn't, this isn't a rumour that you see in the media and you go, that, that doesn't make sense. Mm. Th- this does make sense. Yeah, I completely agree. But... Given the success, I would be very surprised if we went another five weeks without hearing something definitive about Series 12. Maybe I'm being nostalgic for the RTD era, where they'll just sort of come out after one week and go, and we've commissioned the next two series, and another one after Mm, that, and and you always sort of knew it was coming. And and even when it did go away for a, a year, it was Russell Hedebis going, no, we need to, you know, calm everything down a bit. And he said, that was a mistake. Uh, we're, we're not in that era yet. Yeah, well, look, they're not averse to some, you know, triumphalism because the consolidated figures, and, and when we get to ratings later, I'm only going to be talking about overnight, so this is sort of a separate story. The consolidated figures for the first episode turned out to be the highest rating figures of any Doctor Who episode ever including going back into the classic era. And I know that things are counted in a different way now, so it's not really comparing, you know, apples and apples. However, they were very quick to crow about that result and say, look, Jodie's first episode, when we consolidated it all, best, you know, ratings ever. And, of course, we know that includes fans who have watched it two or three times. Yeah, so it's, it's, yeah. it's again, take it with a big grain of salt, people, but I'm just saying the BBC aren't afraid to get out there on the front foot and crow about stuff you'd think they'd get out there and crow about commissioning a new series if they'd done it. Uh, yes, maybe they're waiting for the right media window. They've had the opening of the series, they're going to have the end of the series, and they're going, right, what, what's a nice little gap where we can do it? I guess we will find out. Absolutely. Speaking of ratings, I just want to have a quick mention of box office figures. Oh, good, yes. And it's interesting. I, I, I'm... Going to be doing a bit of speculation in this one, Rob. So, so listeners, if you don't like speculation or you want to start tearing my comments apart, <laughs> don't because this is, this is openly speculating. I've tried to find the world box office grosses for all the various different iterations of Doctor Who that have been shown in the cinema. Now, from the research I've done, the unquestioned success story, the leader of the pack, remains the day of the Doctor. That got 2.9 million US worldwide, which is a very good turnaround for something like that. Hmm. Uh, you go down to Power of the Daleks, that's 116,000 worldwide. Sharda, 29,000 worldwide. 
Um, the pilot, so that's the equivalent of the woman who fell to earth, was 80,000. Yeah. Twice upon a time, 220,000, which makes sense given it was a Christmas thing and you could go out for Christmas and see the Christmas special rather than just seeing an episode that was on television anyway. And a regeneration story. I'd argue regeneration stories are more popular than debut stories. Yeah, that as well. The figure that I have for the woman who fell to earth is only 40,000. Yeah. Now, that's a significant drop. It's, it's half of the pilot, and it's a fraction of twice upon a time. Part of that, I suspect, might be a waning of this idea of things going into the cinema. But another problem is that the Australian box office figures, which would be a reasonable component of these, um, are, are not entered at this time. The, the figure I had for the Australian box office was $821. Now, we know that that's too low. We, we know that more than 17 people went to see this thing. But what is interesting is there probably was a very significant drop in the Australian box office because it wasn't shown on a weekend here. That's a very good point. That That's very interesting. And look, I'll just dive in and just put it on the record that I'm not into these cinema releases at all. I think it's a bit crazy. I think they should be kept for very special events. And people may say, well, a regeneration story is a special event or a debut story is a special event. I still don't think that's special enough. I think those anniversary stories are really it, and I think that's reflected in the figures. I think the day does play a part as well, as as you've highlighted. But on the whole, I just think this is a ridiculous concept. And I, I wish people, I wish the people who are left supporting it stopped supporting it so it just stopped becoming a thing. I sound like a grumpy old man tonight, don't I, Dave? You, you, you do a bit. Look, you can't begrudge people who enjoy it enjoying it. But, but yes, I mean, there is a big difference for Australia and indeed New Zealand between I will go out on a Sunday afternoon and watch Doctor Who at the cinema and I will go to the cinema after work on a Monday and watch it mm. when I could just be at home watching it. But but yes, I, I do think this concept is waning. We've said a couple of times now that some of these episodes that have been pushed out to a more cinema-friendly length actually didn't need to, and in some cases suffered for it. I, I, do, I think the woman who fell to earth suffered for it. I, I'm with you. I think it's, it's time to put this to bed. We are not in the 2.9 million worldwide figures of Day of the Doctor. We're just, just, just not. No, that's right. At the same time, though, I guess it's just, you know, it's just money in the bank. It's just cream on top because they've already made these episodes using, you know, British taxpayer funds. Um, they've sold it all over the world already. I mean, whatever it makes at the cinema, they probably don't even care. It's just a bit of cream on top because it's not like they're repaying anything. Uh, true, but for the cinemas that have bought them, they could be a loss. Well, indeed. So hopefully the cinemas make a loss and stop buying it, Dave. <laughs> Fair enough. So, look, if I get more figures on the Australian box office, I will try and find them. But because it fell outside of a weekend, it doesn't get captured by those weekend figures, which mm. makes it harder. All right. Moving on, and I've uh, already sort of preempted this, I want to talk briefly about ratings and just going on the overnights because although we mentioned them on our Woman Who Fell to Earth episode, we didn't have them to hand when we recorded The Ghost Monument or Rosa. Um, they hadn't quite popped out in the, the morning in the UK of the following day. So um, on our episode, Dave, and on the one I did with Steve, we didn't have them. So thus far, Woman Who Fell to Earth was an 8.2 million overnight. Ghost Monument was 7.11 and Rosa was 6.39, which is 
which is sort of a steady decline um, when you look at it. I had said at the time of Woman Who Fell to Earth, 8.2 million overnight, that's amazing. If they can stick within a million of that, they're doing very well, which they essentially did with Ghost Monument. I thought, wow, you know, Rose is looking pretty good for next week. If that stays around like 7 point something million, amazing. As it is, 6.3 million isn't that huge a drop, but it is still a drop. It'll be very interesting to see whether we go into the 5 millions next week or whether we sit maybe around the 6 millions or bump back up into the 7 millions. It's it's all sort of to play for at the moment, Dave. I think you're right there, Rob. I've often said that ratings are like opinion polls. You don't look at what it is on any one poll or any one set of figures. Mm. You look at the trend line. And the trend line could be, as you said, a, a understandable spike at the front and then a reasonable fluctuation between six and seven, maybe eight million over the next eight weeks. And that's that's fine. That's very healthy. Or it could be that the trend line is all in one direction and we actually end up, you know, if, if we ended up starting with a four, having started with an eight, that would be disappointing. I don't think that's the case. I think that the the initial enthusiasm has, has worn off. We're still in the sixes. That's great. And that's that's probably how we're going to go. That's my prediction. I do think you're right, though, Rob, to focus on the overnight figure. Because don't forget, the BBC have put Doctor Who onto Sunday night because they want a in-front-of-the-television family viewing experience. They mm. wanted to anchor a night of viewing. And that's what it's there to achieve. So, yeah, absolutely, it's fantastic that there are extra people watching it on um, other mediums and outside the schedule. But the BBC does want to see an audience brought in to anchor Sunday evenings in the UK. If they don't get that, they might as well put it on at any time and make it an iPlayer-type thing, which other shows are. So I know a lot of fans get very defensive about ratings, and that's fine. And yes, we can't forget the consolidated figure, but if you are an anchor program, you must have good overnights as well. Doctor Who certainly has good overnights at the moment. I think the trend line will be good, but drawing a conclusion about a 10-week series from three bits of data is foolish. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we can speculate that it could do all sorts of things, you know. Oh, look, it'll drop to 5 million next week and then stay at 5 million for the rest of the series. Oh, it'll bounce back up next week. Because once everyone saw Rosa, they realised that things are, you know, on the up and up with the show. Uh, who knows? Who really knows? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And Dave, that is the end of the news. Excellent. So we'll move into our mini topics. Just um, three small ones on this occasion. I wanted to mention very briefly, I have listened again over the last couple of weeks to The Paradise of Death. Wow. Now, you might need to explain this to some of our listeners. They probably haven't heard of it, Dave. This is this is Audio Doctor Who before Big Finish. In fact, going back to 1993, I think, for the anniversary, the, the 30th anniversary, let me say. <laughs> yes. Uh, BBC Radio did a couple of six-part stories, the first of which was The Paradise of Death. And so this starred John Pertwee, Elizabeth Sladen, and Nicholas Courtney, as well as a very good cast, Harold Innocent, Peter Miles, mm. Morris Denham, for example, they all turn up in this. And look, I'm really, really fond of it. It's, it's a little favourite of mine. It is very odd in that it's written as though it is the 1990s in the show, not the 1970s. So they have things like virtual reality and all that sort of thing. Um, and it's very Barry Letts. It's written by Barry Letts and it feels like Barry Letts. It's very uh, eco-conscious and very messagey. <laughs> uh, um, and, and there's all sort of little 
sometimes it's trying a bit too hard to be a Pertwee story. Mm. And, you know, like, you know, hey, I'm going to mention this because it's a Pertwee story. We talk about Venetia Nikito in this, and we, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but it's really good. I mean, Pertwee is a great voice actor. Courtney and Sladen are great to hear. I, I really have enjoyed listening back to this. And for those people who are big Finnish fans and uh, are, are sad that there hasn't been a John Pertwee one, well, don't forget there was The Paradise of Death. There was also The Ghost of End Space, but do forget that. Yeah. i got to jump in and say Big Finish does have that Pertwee impersonator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dave, I've watched a Pertwee episode this past month. Uh, I don't know why we've both picked Pertwee all of a sudden this month. And that was Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Please tell me that you loved it. Yeah, I, I did love it. It had been so long since I'd seen it. I really enjoyed going back to it. Yeah, I, I look, I've waxed lyrically about this on many occasions. What was it that really appealed to you? This will sound weird. It was the black and white first episode. Oh, okay, yeah. That is very well done, though. That is that is a fair comment. That's right. The first episode is really well done. It's really scary. And it's kind of like the demons for me, which I originally watched in black and white, too. Watching it in black and white gave it an atmosphere and a real sort of field of proceedings that when you get into the actual story, which is a great story and carries across the six episodes pretty well, it doesn't really feel like it's lagging at any time, which is rare for a six-parter especially a Pertwee six-parter or seven-parter. Really entertaining. Great fun. And what did you think of the dinosaurs? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? They um, they get panned, they get talked about so often, but on the whole, they're not actually that bad. There are a few that sort of stand out and you think, oh gosh, that could be done so much better these days. But there are a few scenes where I think it's like a Stegosaurus and the Doctor's CSO'd in front of him and it doesn't look that bad. It doesn't look that jarring and fake. You know it's fake, obviously, but it's not yeah. as bad as you think it will be. Yeah, the Stegosaurus, the Triceratops, even the Brontosaurus aren't too bad for, for what they are. Um, the Pterodactyl looks good, but obviously the movement's all wrong. Um, I find it fascinating looking at the T-Rex now because that's kind of how we thought T-Rexes looked and moved back then. You know, they, they were sort of, you know, back on the hind legs, upright with their, their hands out the front. Whereas now we have a lot better research and they move more like they did in Jurassic Park where they're, you know, the body's sort of forward leaning and, and very, very mobile. Mm. Um, but I've got to say, look, I, I really love the story. We know that it's a great story. I don't mind the dinosaurs. But even when I was a kid, you know, five, six years old, that scene where Sarah's locked in the hangar and the T-Rex comes back uh, or wakes up, Yes. That terrified me as a kid. Yeah, that's a scary scene. It's a great story. It is, it is. And we we can't let discussion of Invasion of the Dinosaurs pass without mentioning uh, Mark from Diddly Dumb Podcast favourite line in that, which is the guy who incredulously turns with everybody and says, I went into this very carefully. I sold my house. <laughs> yep. Speaking of the Diddly Dumb Podcast, yes. I would like to mention, and I'm sure you'd like to join me, Rob, that their 100th episode came out since our last uh, monthly episode. That's right. They've actually pumped out the 100th episode, and I think a couple since then. They've been on fire. Yep, they've had the 101st plus uh, their reviews, and they did a combined review of the first two episodes of the series. So they are 
clearly working hard over there. But although it is seven hours, and I, I flagged that, and I, I did make a joke with the guys when I said I'd finished it, that uh, it was the same length as watching Colony in Space, The Claws of Axos, Terror of the Autons, and The Demons all in one go. <laughs> yes. It is seven hours, but it does go back and chronicle the entire podcast and all the highlights over that time. And I found it a really enjoyable listen. You know, I didn't do it all in one sitting. I did it, in fact, I interrupted it with other podcasts now and then, but I worked through it over a couple of weeks. And it was really entertaining. And look, they're friends of ours. They're friends of the podcast. And congratulations to them on getting well and passing 100. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, congratulations, guys. I mean, we, we said it on the show as well. But uh, from, from us here today, yes, a, a wonderful achievement, you know. And, and listening to those seven hours of recordings, it really took me back because I've listened to them almost from the start. So I was hearing things that I'd heard before, but I haven't heard for several years. So that was kind of fun to go back because generally with podcasts, you don't go back and listen to them. You know, someone listening to us talking right now is really unlikely to go back and listen to this episode in two or three years' time. No, I worked out from listening to it that my first episode of theirs was episode 17, so I've been with them longer than I realised. But one thing that I'd forgotten and I was reminded about is, Rob, you've actually been to the Whoseum and appeared on one of their episodes. Dave, I have, and I've got to tell you... That's really interesting, particularly what you say about Doc there. Because although I haven't appeared on a podcast, I have met three of them in person. Uh, we went to um, the Fitzroy Tavern in the shadow of the post office tower. And when you meet those guys in person, what you really notice, and this will shock you. My God, really? Yeah, yeah. But um, we probably shouldn't tell people about all that. No. <laughs> All right. Well, congratulations, diddly done. Yeah, congrats, guys. On to the main topic. Rob, do you want to lead us through? Yes, Dave. I thought we could probably be led through the three episodes that have uh, come and gone at the time of recording by, you know, taking these uh, emails that our listeners have written in and hearing what they had to say, because we've had our say. Well, you've had your say on two out of three so far, at least. And, you know, maybe we can get in and sort of dissect some of these comments, comment on them, flesh them out a bit more, and maybe uh, tease out some thoughts that we uh, might have had but didn't get to say on our podcast or that we've had subsequently since we've had a chance to go back and look at the episodes again or think about them some more or talk to our friends about them and all of that good stuff. So, shall we start with, yes, this came from Patrick Howe. This was actually a comment on our website, the dwshow.net, on the, uh, the episode we dropped for the woman who fell to earth. And Patrick's commenting here both on the episode and on some other material too. So he says, Really enjoyed your last few shows and hope you'll be doing a Troughton special in the same way as the brilliant Hartnell one. Dave, I'll just stop there. Are we doing a Troughton one soon? Look, it's on the list. Yeah, I think, I think Troughton would be one of the more popular doctors that we'd do before some of the others. Perhaps. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> now, the other reason I hesitate is we did do a special on season five a few months ago. That is true. Yeah, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Patrick continues, On the woman who fell to earth, I'd like to hear your views on whether the crane incident had deliberate echoes of the last episode of Legopolis. I'll stop there. Uh, no. 
I, I see I see where Patrick is coming from, but I think it is coincidental rather than deliberate. What about you, Rob? Yeah, look, I think whenever the Doctor is hanging from a great height, you think of Legopolis to some degree. Um, but I'm not sure that's what Chibnall was trying to sort of echo there. Um, I certainly thought about it when Jodie jumped and was hanging on by her hands, and you think of Tom when he's holding on by his hands as well. Uh, but deliberate, you know, no, I don't think so either. Moving on, Patrick says, Also, whilst I agreed that Jodie Whittaker was very good, I can't see justification for the northern accent. I felt the same with Eccleston. I'm not buying the northern part of Gallifrey argument. Surely the essence of regeneration is that it's fundamentally the same person in a different body. Whilst the personality can change, the accent shouldn't. Dave, what do you think about that? I'm going to be controversial here and agree with Patrick. I don't mind the northern thing. and I thought, actually thought Eccleston used it pretty well. Um, I didn't mind the Scottish doctor when he was McCoy. But I do kind of miss RP, I must admit. Whether that makes me boring or something, I'm not sure. But I, I do hanker for RP. I'd say it does give a sort of continuity to the Doctor if they always talk the same. I can see that, though, when we start having, um, you know, 12, 13, 14, eventually 15, 16, 17 Doctors, it's good to have some variety. If they all had RP accents, it might be a bit weird and boring after a while. Um, And in this age of people wanting everything to be diverse, I guess they'd like to see diversity in accents as well. It doesn't bend me too out of shape, but I can see Patrick's point. Um, I'm not entirely on board with it, but I can see the point for sure. Yeah, it's not something that either of us have actually thought about or raised in the past, but having had the question asked, I kind of do agree with him, yeah. Mm. And Patrick continues, Lastly, on the subject of the Doctor's adjustment to the regeneration process, surely the precedent dates back to Troughton's first story. Moreover, not that realism is relevant, it would be less realistic to completely recover from regeneration in a single episode. Well, I would argue that in Power of the Daleks, the Doctor is actually up and about and doing Doctorish things by the end of episode one. Mm. Yes, there is a bit of doubt about who he is and everything, but and yes, he's a little bit unformed, but he's very clearly an active and integral part of that plot and driving that plot by the end of episode one and certainly into episode two spearhead he certainly was up and about by the end of episode one uh, he was unfortunately shot during the cliffhanger which put him back 10 minutes into episode two <laughs> but again by that once once he sort of got his clothes and he's stolen that car and he's hit in the headquarters he is up and about and smashing it tom he's a little eccentric in his first one but after five minutes uh, you know, once he's had his skipping scene and got his clothes again, he's up and doing it. And and he is Tom. Tom, Tom is Tom from 10 Minutes into Robot. Yeah. And so that's what I actually am talking about. I don't need to be delayed in finding who the Doctor's character is. And I think they're stronger if you get there quicker. Uh, that's just my view. Yeah, it is a very JNT thing when you look at the doctors who really had post-regenerative, you know, issues. You know, Davo in his zero room and the zero box, and you know, Colin throttling Perry, uh, the seventh doctor not being able to tell that Kate O'Mara was wearing uh, a very uh, bad Bonnie Langford wig, and so on and so forth. Uh, it's a it's a real JNT thing, and and it seems to have been picked up on more than I would have thought in the modern era. Yeah, surprisingly more. It was interesting the way they did it in 
uh, the Christmas invasion where the Doctor was unconscious. But again, once Tennant is awake, he's very much the Doctor. Mm, absolutely. So the next is a slightly longer email we have from Peter Dedman. Hi, guys. I've been enjoying the show quite a lot. I found you last year and I was looking to try and understand some of those mid-season episodes and you chaps helped me make more sense of them and I mostly agreed with your scores too. Ever since, your monthly episodes have been fun to listen to. I was especially interested in your Davo and Hartnell retrospectives because I rarely saw episodes from the first Doctor and really liked the personality of the fifth Doctor. I'd be very interested if you did a second Doctor retrospective sometime, though I know a lot of his episodes are sadly lost. Well, there's another, another vote. Another for vote. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> okay, maybe the people have spoken. Yeah. Regarding season eleven, I mostly agree with your hot take review of episode one. I thought Jodie played the role well, was charismatic, and a bit kooky. We'll see if she settles down, or whether this is how she will be going forward. I agree the episode was clunky. I was thinking at one point, people do not speak like this when they were doing the as you know sections. <laughs> And that aside, the Predator villain was okay, a fitting villain since the Predator was always so underdeveloped and simplistic anyway. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with all of that. Yeah, yeah, look, com- completely agree. And it's interesting now to sit here after uh, three episodes to see where Jodie's at. Uh, she hasn't perhaps developed the Doctor as much as I thought she would have. She's toned it down a bit from that first episode, but she's still... She's still, you know, we were saying people were projecting their own thoughts onto it. I thought she was a bit Davo. I still think that to some degree. But I can sort of see more and more people's comments that, oh, she's just doing a tenant. You know, it, it, it's it's very tenant-like in places. Although I could make a case for Smithy too. Uh, but that sort of slightly kooky, fun um, vibe is there. And indeed, it's one that I speculated would be there before the series even started, based on you know what I knew about her on the set of Broadchurch and, and why Chris Chibnall was interested in her in the first place. Yeah, I have some thoughts on Jodie, and I'm going to save them for when we get to episode three, given I haven't commented there yet. Okay. Uh, but, I, but I am getting a lot of sympathy with what Peter here is saying. So we'll go on. I found the section with the grieving brother to be incredibly baffling. It's a plot thread which exists only to provide a video file and a workshop. Surely there are better ways to bring that in. Don't disagree there. Yeah, in fact, we commented on that in our episode. Yeah. Also, I knew from the start that Grace was dead meat. With the meta-knowledge that there were three companions but four people, she either was going to die or stay behind. And pretty quickly I connected the special woman from the prologue with her and realised she was destined to die. (laughs) (laughs) Rather silly and pointless death, but hey. I'm looking forward to the next episodes, though. As a fellow Australian, I recognised also exactly two people on the list of coming soon people. I was thinking, that's great. I'm sure they mean something to someone. To me, it's just a collection of mostly subcontinent origin actors and actresses. So this is interesting, Rob. I've now had time since we recorded our hot take to listen to a number of other uh, podcast reviews of this, including two and a half that are UK based. Yes. And for the most part, they were equally baffled. Yes. So it, wasn't, it wasn't like we thought it wasn't a UK thing. Um, they were baffled too. Yeah. I mean, we were baffled. That's fine. But I think I was making the comment that, oh, look, our UK friends will know no more. No, they really don't. <laughs> yeah. Which I found uh, quite funny. And, and one of them, um, it might have been Lee from the Blue Box podcast, but if it wasn't, I apologise. 
did sort of say, well, maybe if you're the sort of person that watches a lot of soap operas and more mainstream TV, that might have uh, meant more to you, whereas hardcore Doctor Who fans tend not to watch that sort of TV shows. Or maybe it was just a really bizarre decision. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm increasingly thinking it was, um, particularly the way the music kept playing through it. And, yeah, looking back on it now, I mean, what's it going to be like when you watch that in, uh, what, three or four years' time on a Blu-ray? It's just going to seem really weird. <laughs> yeah. It's like watching an advert. It, yeah, yeah, odd decision. I don't think it went down well. So, looking forward to hearing your next hot takes. Cheers, Peter. P.S. Are you able to send a list of companion scores from that episode with Rob and Mike? I remembered agreeing with most, but couldn't remember what you gave them now. Thanks. Well, Peter, unfortunately, I can say with uh, surety on my side, I was giving those scores just off the cuff uh, as we were going <laughs> through. I had the list of companions in front of me and I knew what I wanted to say about them. And as Mike and I would talk, I would sort of, you know, sort of hone down on a, uh, a sort of a score in my head. I, I literally didn't write any of it down. You'd have to go back through the episode and, and write down my answers to have the one and only list that exists in the world. Um, I'm not so sure about Mike. I think he might be similar to me. I think that's the kind of guy Mike is, you know. He just likes to get down and, uh, you know, talk through things and throw a score <laughs> out there. Uh, so apologies about that, uh, but no such uh, list exists. Fair enough. I wasn't on that one, so I can't comment. No. Moving on, we have an email from David Clark. Hiya, Robin Dave. Just been listening to your review of the first episode of the new series. Got to say, I totally agree with the points you brought up. My favourite character, apart from the Doctor, is Graham. Ha <laughs> ha, Dave, another Graham fan. There's a lot out there, I'm finding. I'm finding, especially once episodes two and three went out, a lot of people went Team Graham. I was there from the start, everybody. Remember that? You were. You were. <laughs> David continues, Jodie fitted the part perfectly, and I thought she was quite alien. And I would have liked a more substantial I Am The Doctor speech, but apart from that, very good. I was very grateful not to have an I Am The Doctor speech. I don't think The Doctor works as well when he's telling everybody how awesome he or she is. He or she just needs to get on and be awesome. Mm, mm, very true. It's almost like we've gotten used to those sorts of speeches, so people are almost expecting it now. It is. And I know some people love them, and, and, and you know, they, they commit them to memory, and they find them really wonderful, iconic moments. And that that's fair enough. I get that. But uh, maybe it's that classic fandomness showing through there, where the Doctor was you know, a lot subtler. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. I, I can see how they're great convention moments. Like, you know, if, if someone put on that, that Smithy moment where he steps through the, the hologram of all the past Doctors and says, I'm the Doctor. Basically, run. You know, that that's the moment all the fans stand up and wave their arms and, you know, faint and, you know, yeah. gen genuflect and things. It's, it's quite crazy. But, yeah, if you were a classic fan, it, it's still a little bit alien, that sort of stuff. But anyway, mm. uh, David continues, Also, a little theory. Do you think the Doctor actually kidnapped her new gang, or were they all holding an item that could have been put on a chair or the floor, but by actually holding the items, they were all connected? We shall see. Your thoughts on that, Dave? It's an interesting thought. If I'd read this email at the end of episode one, I would have been more likely to agree with David Having seen episode two particularly, but also three, we are seeing that Jodie's Doctor is a very fallible Doctor in the way that many of the endearing Doctors are. And that, to me, 
inclines me more to her just having been fallible rather than being conspiratorial. It could be that after a couple more episodes, I change that view, but that's where I'm leaning now, having seen more of her Doctor. Yeah, and look, there's been a scene dropped from the uh, the next episode as a bit of a tease out there on the internet. It's been officially dropped by the BBC. Uh, this is the episode uh, Arachnids in the UK. And I, I won't go into it in great detail, but the way the Doctor's acting in that scene, I think she didn't kidnap them at all. I think it was just an accident, and she's actually very sad to see them um, leaving her. Of course, they don't leave her. They're her companions. But... Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think that points the way to it, just having been a genuine mistake. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. We have an email from Martin Oates. Welcome back, guys. I know you do other stuff, but this is where you excel. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> to be or not to be, that is the question. Doctor Who never was, never is, and never will be Shakespeare. So the odd bit of clunky dialogue here and there is fine, especially in a program that is trying to appeal to such a broad spectrum of the viewing public. You were at times a little too critical about this. Okay. Yeah, look, fair fair cop. I mean, I guess it's been a long time since we'd seen an episode of Doctor Who. Uh, We have a new showrunner coming in and like a band putting out its first album, this is his chance to say, this is my series of Doctor Who. And and you expect him to do something, I guess, utterly amazing. And when the dialogue does bog down a little here and there, it's like, really, Chris, you've had a few years to sort of get this sorted out. Um, Okay. (laughs) You know, and I guess that's where the criticism might come from, that sort of background. Yeah, no, but I get the point that Martin is making. He goes on to say, Unlike the both of you, I only had one real criticism, and that related to Grace. Yes, she was not going to survive the whole episode, so the impact of this, a little bit like the Cybermen at the end of last season, was somewhat muted. But it was still well done, and I know that some of my friends did not know or guess that Grace wouldn't be around for them. So for them... It was a tearjerker of a moment. That's very fair. We were going in, and we said that we were going in with that knowledge, and Mm. all we can really do with a hot take is say how it hit us. And that's why these monthly episodes are good, because we can reflect on the fact that, yeah, while that detracted from us, for a casual viewer, it probably wouldn't have been quite... Uh, as spoiled and so yeah would have had more impact I, I don't disagree with that at all yeah especially because grace was built up to be the really fun adventurous you know older woman you know the kind of person someone would like to have as their mother or grandmother or whatever and to then bump her off is quite shocking um if you're not expecting it yeah absolutely and lots of people wouldn't have been and no, that's a very fair comment the episode flew by the momentum was paced well throughout Jodie had plenty of time to shine as the Doctor and her friends, companions, all had time to shine. And yeah, Carl was all right too, wasn't he? <laughs> he was all right. He was all right. I, I wasn't as taken with Carl as somebody who had some very funny moments. I, I will agree. He was a good character. Mm. I just think he was a one-off. I love the post-regeneration episodes, although Twin Dilemma tested me all those years ago. Yeah, you and millions of others. <laughs> as it is a reset for me as a lifelong fan, a chance to renew my vows and fall in love with this wonderful show all over again. The Doctor is reborn, looking forward to the rest of the season, and your hot takes keep up the good work. Martin at MJPO007, beer is the answer. Yes, I think beer is the answer is uh, Martin's beer podcast, so uh, good luck with that too, Martin. Um, I like the way Martin says that 
you know a, a post-regeneration episode is is your chance to renew the vows so to speak and fall in love with the show again because certainly at the end of the capaldi era i was ready for a new doctor although i really deeply enjoyed that last series of his compared to the first two it is nice to know that there's change coming up and you can sort of still be into the same show broadly but it's going to change and do something interesting that's that's just a wonderful part of being a doctor who fan and i like the way he expresses it there yeah it's it's a lovely thing that he says there the the inverse of it of course is that if you are still truly madly deeply in love with the doctor and his era and that is suddenly wrenched apart that can make the next era very hard to, uh, to 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 come along and enjoy. If you're a big fan of Davo and you still love Davo at Caves of Androzani, it's going to be even harder to accept Colin. Uh, I remember I struggled with Tennant for a little bit longer than maybe I would have because I've really come to enjoy Christopher Eccleston's Doctor so much and still do that having him end at the end of a, a year was was too little. But it is something I've always said about Doctor Who. If you're not enjoying a season, if you're not enjoying a Doctor, stick around because sooner or later it's all going to change. Yeah, precisely right. Now, before we get to uh, the second episode, The Ghost Monument, I just wanted to say, was there anything else you wanted to sort of cover off on that first episode, Dave? Because I know there is for me, and maybe I'll just throw it out there. Mine is the score I gave it. I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. And based on where I am with the three episodes so far, I think I'd revise that down to a seven i i don't know numerically what i would change it to but i must admit the further i get away from this one the less memorable it seems certainly when i watched it i think a large part of my enthusiasm was the excitement of a new doctor a new season we were doing our first hot take that that adrenaline and that 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 interest Mm. carries me through Looking back at this one, I don't know if you would have just picked this off the shelf or open up the iTunes file or whatever the equivalent of picking something off the shelf is these days. If you were to pick this off the shelf in five years' time, without all that impact, I don't think it would stand up quite as well. It was a little clunky. It was very serviceable. It was a very good vehicle. And I'm not saying it was bad, but I'm saying the further away I get from it and the less excited i was and in the moment i was the more shallow this one looks Mm. well you know i feel that way with a lot of new who you know looking back say five years now that's that's going back to the 50th anniversary year matt smith was the doctor and so on i look at the series that were being made around that time and in each series there might seriously only be two or three episodes that i'd really truly love to look at at any given moment most of them, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I literally have no interest in seeing that maybe ever again. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. The other thing we need to reflect on is that the alien monster villain baddie thing from that episode, um, the dude with teeth on his face. Tim Shaw. You know, I was actually watching a um, presentation to the National Press Club on Wednesday in, in between Parliament sitting, mm. and... Tim Shaw from Demtel, who now works for ACT Radio, was in the audience and stood up and said, hi, I'm Tim Shaw from whatever radio station in Canberra. And it was just a really cringe moment. Which brings me to a question I'd forgotten. Is there a UK Tim Shaw? Yes. Who? So, okay. I just thought, what? 
So, who's the UK Tim Shaw? He's some sort of broadcaster, TV, radio type person. I don't know much about him, but I looked it up at the time because I thought there's no way they could be riffing on our Tim Shaw. No way. No, that would have been really obscure, but... I didn't know that there was a UK Tim Shaw. Yeah, it's just there, am- there it's is. just amazing that it worked in Australia as well. So for, for listeners outside of Australia, Tim Shaw for a large part of the late 80s, most of the 90s, possibly even the 2000s, was the front of those ads that you know was, was famous for the and call now and we'll throw in an extra set of steak knives. But there's more. He was he was that guy for what? It must have been close to 20 years. Oh yeah, it became extraordinarily well known, you, you know. Yeah, and, and for a long time, like, when he started, he was just, like, the face of these ads. But over time, like, it was a personality, and by then it was, Hi, I'm Tim Shaw, and, like, he was a known guy. Yeah, started off as just this random guy selling crap, uh, and eventually he's a personality now. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm sorry, that was just a, a random thing. But back to the point, that, that alien monster, we were kind of speculating at the time we watched it on the hot take that he may or may not be back do you feel more likely that there's going to be some sort of payoff for that now that we've seen a couple more yeah i think so particularly as in the second episode which we're about to talk about um his race was mentioned it would seem very weird to mention them and not have him come back when his fate is still unknown So moving into the second episode of series 11 dave the ghost monument our first email comes from shane rofe he says, G'day, fellas. Marvellous chaps. Both of you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Firstly, thanks for your Hartnell special and last week's new season hot take. Glad to hear they are back as I really enjoyed the ones you did last year. Oh, that's good. It's good to know people are coming back for them, you know, now that we're doing them regularly uh, yeah. year on year. Thank you. Uh, to touch on that one quickly, I think Dave asked for some feedback about the contrived nature of the doctor telling the crane driver chappy off when he booted tim shaw over the edge i agree with dave to me it did seem a bit forced doctorish however i know why they did it and in an excellent introduction i was willing to forgive the show for one small misdemeanor i did want to quickly also mention the music if you go back and watch it the scene where the van is taking the pod thing to the warehouse and the camera pans over sheffield football stadium and the city and how the music throbbed from one side to the other awesome uh, yeah that was very cool i'll pay that yeah and i look i think music is something we've mentioned in all our hot takes so far even if it was to say hmm the, the music didn't sort of you know stand out and beat me over the head it was actually quite you know complimentary it was nice mm. and uh, a lot of other podcasts are saying similar Com- complimentary really is the word for this music isn't it yeah it's more a, a feel, a vibe, a tone, uh, rather than, you know, pretty little tunes all the time. There are tunes. Of course there are. You know, the Doctor has a theme and such. Uh, but it's just taking us back more to sort of the 70s in some ways. Mm, no, I agree. Yeah. Shane continues, as for episode two, well, I've just watched the Doctor's visit to Desolation and colour me impressed. I found the filmic quality was even more impressive this week than last, which is pretty good considering it was, well, a desolate landscape. (laughs) I am liking the fact that we aren't having any returning monsters. Well, so far, Shane. Sure, we're only two episodes in, but as they were traipsing through the ruins, it was good to know that we wouldn't see a Dalek trundling into view. Having said that, though, the female racer, when she was talking about her homeworld, I wondered if her planet had been conquered by Daleks and it was a setup for a story next year. 
Nope, instead we're hearing about this stenza again. This is making me think of season 7 from the classic series or any number of seasons in the Tom Baker years. You don't always need a recognised monster from the past. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and I'm, yeah, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Shane finish his email before I go any further, I think. Okay. To finish up, the acting is perfectly on point, in my opinion. The music is just right, especially the opening titles and closing credits. I'm loving the theme, and not over the top. The cinematography, and I do think you have to call it cinematography for camera work just doesn't do it justice, is fantastic. The lighting is spot on, gloomy when it needs to be without blotting people out. As for the bad guy, well, was there one? Does there need to be? The robots were just robots, the competitors were just two people trying to win money, and the race organiser, though seemingly malevolent, was just, well, some rich guy. I'm fine with that. The ribbon monsters were, well, an explanation for the planet's destruction, but I think you could have just as easily done without them. As for the companions, well, Graham is my outright favourite, was this week, still is. I really do like Ryan, especially his hysterical screaming when he couldn't reload his gun. Actually, a laugh-out-loud moment for me. And it was good to see Yaz not just filling up numbers. We got a tad more backstory to her, and I love her optimism at the end. Finally, the Doctor. She's brilliant. Seriously, were there any other Doctors before her? Just kidding. Uh, but it's great to go straight into an episode where gender is just totally inconsequential. We're only two episodes in, but my nervous optimism before this season is starting to already seem vindicated. I can only hope this quality continues for the rest of the season. Sorry about the length of the email, especially if you do want to read it out on the show. Hope I didn't make you go over time. If you don't read it on the show, so be it. I would like to do some more in upcoming weeks, but I'll try and be more concise. I just get so excited when I'm watching this and I'm not a Twitter person. So writing to you chaps is a nice way to vent some of the excitement I have for this brilliant show. Cheers from Shane. That's a really good summary of the episode there from Shane. So thank you for writing it in. I said just now at the end of our conversation about the woman who fell to earth that it was dissipating in the memory as I got further away. This isn't the case with the ghost monument for me at all. The ghost monument still holds up very well for me. I think the adventure remains fun and the visuals, cinematography is the right word, I agree with you Shane. They are very, very strong as well and the characters were strong. And this is this is going to, I think, hold steady in my view. And and more and more, I think the Ghost Monument is a story that I may pull off the shelf in years to come. Not if I want the you know an outright classic, but if I want some fun, entertaining Doctor Who, I can see myself watching this episode. It's 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 sitting really nicely with me at the moment. I think I'd be far more likely to pull this off the shelf than the first episode. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know what else is coming down the pipe. Uh, again, I think I'd revise my score to a 7 out of 10, which again isn't radically different to what I gave it in the hot take, but I, I felt it's maybe not quite as good as I thought it was the first time around. Um, the, the, the race and the way it's portrayed just didn't seem as... Uh, as interesting or as epic and I think I even brought that up at the time it didn't Mm. feel like they'd done some really epic stuff even though they were out on a boat and so on I think it might have been the guys from the uh, the the big blue box podcast 
were saying wouldn't have been great if they had a sense that those ribbon creatures had been stalking them while they were on the boat, you know, and they're on the boat and they're looking at the shore and thinking, is there something out there? You know, Ooh, I don't know. And, and building that up a bit more and, you know, maybe dropping some of the more inconsequential scenes earlier and maybe doing a bit more with the ribbon monsters. That was one of their thoughts. And I, I totally buy into that. I'm happy to give them credit for it uh, because I thought, yes, maybe if the ribbon monsters were the main you know nasty on this planet and there were maybe a couple attacks of them you know um an, an aborted attack maybe early in the piece and then the 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 more uh, dangerous attack that happens later where they're, they're going to choke the guy to death <sighs> maybe a bit more could have been done with them because they were an interesting monster there's lots of maybes there robert and they're all good ideas i was mm. happy with what i got and i gave it a seven and a half at the time and I think it's still a seven and a half from me. It's a good, entertaining, very well-made story. And uh, that, that, that's that's kind of all I can say. Yeah. And look, I completely agree with you. And, and having it as a seven out of ten, I don't think we're too out of sync with each other on it. Um, you know, maybe I would have liked a little more. Maybe I'm just being greedy. I don't know. <laughs> well, we've got a couple more emails about this. So we'll keep going and see if there's some other opinions. Mm. Uh, the next is from Katrina. She writes, Hi, Robin Dave. Thank you for some excellent podcast listening. It's so refreshing to have an Australian viewpoint of Doctor Who, although I'm glad the spirit of Rex Mossop hasn't joined the sports desk. <laughs> I'd say Katrina is from uh, New South Wales or possibly Queensland with that comment. I think so, yes. Uh, I'm about to listen to your review of The Ghost Monument, but before I start, I wanted to share an oh no experience I had watching the second episode. The TARDIS team seemed very familiar to me and a little old-fashioned. Couldn't place the characters until I stepped back and looked at them at a high level. A man who says he's a grandfather, his grandchild with a disability that results in falling over, a strong woman with bobbed hair, and an action character with a three-letter name. Whitaker's TARDIS team is Hartnell's team rearranged. We'll pause there because a few people have been saying this about the team. We compared them very much to the Davison team and completely independently the guys on Jody into terror uh, came up with exactly the same thing and, and, and compared them in the same way mm. but others have found a real Hartnell vibe to this I did compare Graham to Ian when we had our first discussion mm -hmm. yeah and so yeah I think there is something in this and given the tone of this season is very much more uh aimed at being very educational like the Hartnell era was I think there is there is something to this yeah look I think so Dave and when I talk fondly of the Davo era as people can hear in our Davo special um, I've I commented there that one of the things I like about it is that his team sort of echoes the Hartnell era <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's not so much uh, that Jody's team echoes Hartnell or Davo it's that Davo's team sort of echoed Hartnell's team so if Jody's team's echoing Davo then ergo it will echo Hartnell as well or if it's echoing Hartnell it will also echo Davo uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hearing George like... <laughs> Lucas I'm, I'm hearing George Lucas in my mind sort of doing his you know you know they're they're like poetry they they rhyme <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah, uh, I look. So I, th I think it's very valid to say it echoes the Hartnell team or it echoes the Davo team. I think they're, they're both as valid comparisons as, as each other, and I'm quite happy that it does. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, Katrina goes on to conclude: the main difference is only two characters knew each other from school. This is true. So now I find myself being challenged as I keep seeing aspects of 
the Doctor in Graham as much as Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. Lazy Mr. Chibnall, very lazy, says Katrina. This is something that I flagged mm. at the end of our second episode as to whether there was a worry that Graham would, particularly for people looking for a very traditional take on the Doctor, overshadow the Doctor. And this is this is a point I want to pause and discuss here, Rob, because yeah. as I've been watching this series, I I have, to, to use a phrase, been very careful to try and check my male privilege. Mm. Uh, and I say that semi-tongue-in-the-cheek, but I do mean it. I'm very careful when I'm thinking about whether I'm enjoying Jodie's Doctor of not judging her differently because she is a woman. Mm. And there are times when I've sat there and gone, well... Uh, I'm saying I wanted to be stronger or more forceful, have more gravitas. And I'm just saying, well, is that me looking for a man in the role? Now, I don't think it is because I can think of very strong female characters in science fiction. Uh, Star Trek has got a number of them. Servaland from Blake 7 is another example. Uh, Romana is another example within the series, etc., etc., etc. So it, it is interesting, though, Balancing a, a desire to see Jodie do well and not to fall in the trap of judging her differently because she's a woman. Yeah, with the Doctor having always been played by a man and usually in a fairly forceful way, the exceptions perhaps being Troughton, Davo, McCoy, McGann. Well, well no, I'll, I'll stop you there, Rob, because all of those Doctors still, when they wanted to, could walk into a room and command the audience. That's true, but we have the, the benefit of having seen their entire eras. That, that is true, that is true. You know, we, we don't know whether halfway through this series, Ryan's going to get shot and the Doctor is just going to lose it and just, you know, smash people. No, good point, good point. <laughs> you know, we, we don't know where she's going to go. Um, so far, though, yes, she is on the more Davo side of the spectrum. You know, Steve and I were talking about this in the, in the Rosa review that we did. Uh, you know, and I, I'm not adverse to Jody being a bit like Dave. I'm quite mm-hmm. okay with that. Funnily enough, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yes, I, I I see what you're saying, and I think the problem in, in in quotation marks is that it's it's always been played by a bloke. It's hard not to compare it to a bloke's performance, and you know, unless she plays it in an extremely macho blokey way, you you may wonder, oh, what's going on here. You know, I, I, I get that. And I think it'll just change as the series goes on and as she gets even more series under her belt as well. You know, uh, Jodie will become a distinct sort of doctor. If she's followed by another woman in the role, I think that'll just increase the diversity we have and the way we, we think about the doctor. Yeah, and it's not a big point. It's certainly not something just detracting from it, and that's not why I bring it up. It's just something that I have found myself doing is is making sure that I'm not falling into the trap of comparing her to males and looking for male tendencies, which I think would be a wrong way to do it. It's just something I think was worth flagging because I, I worry that some fans are doing that, but I worry that other fans are perhaps going too far in the other way and that, that starts to get very problematic and, and, and whatever. Mm. I personally, I'm not seeing Graham as being a surrogate doctor. I think Graham is his own character and I think the way Graham acts doesn't really provide a doctor surrogate for me. I, I really, really like Graham. He's my favourite of the companions, and I think he's getting some killer lines. But then they're, they're not Doctorish lines. He's he's not the Doctor. No, and having now seen episode three, 
I think that you do get a much better idea of the relationship between them, where Graham is a very independent man. He's got very strong and passionate views. He gets a lot of good lines, but he is very clearly uh, lacking in the uh, universal knowledge of the Doctor, and he's very happy for the Doctor to guide and lead him and, and take her advice. And so I think that that is settling down a lot better than it was in episode two. Mm, absolutely. Shall we move on? Yes. All right, Martin Oates is back. Morning, afternoon, evening. Opening credits, undecided. Opening theme tune, love it. TARDIS interior, also undecided. Jodie is the Doctor, love her. Speaking about Jodie, what really struck me was her vulnerability at the end when she thought she had failed and let down her friends. A lovely contrast to previous incarnations, maybe with the exception of Davo. I see this as a strength uh, rather than a weakness or undoctor-like. Dave, I can tell you're about to burst. <laughs> no, no, I'm not about to burst because that's a really interesting and valid opinion. I will say openly I disagree with um, with Martin, but it's interesting to hear his perspective. And, and my concerns, and I, I raise those issues indeed as my foul of the week in that episode, I've seen a couple of people mention them, but they haven't had nearly the currency I expected and I think I am in a minority on that one so yeah look fair fair play I, I, I have my view and I give it honestly but I think I am in the minority and that didn't upset as many people as it upset me yeah that is interesting because I can totally see and and even get behind your point but it really hasn't resonated like maybe you thought it would out there at all yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, Martin continues, Alvarian from Alvar. What's clunky about that, guys? I'm an Englishman from the UK. Doesn't mean I'm an Earthling. If I was in conversation with an alien, just saying. Seriously, though, the dialogue is written for 5 to 65-year-olds. Maybe a little bit of slack is required. It should be noted that I generally watch as a 10-year-old. And I think this is kind of continuing Martin's thoughts in his uh, first email to us after the first episode that we're being a bit tough on the dialogue and that he watches as a 10-year-old and it's written for a vast, you know, array of people and to maybe give it some slack. Uh, again, you probably see his point, Dave. Oh, I absolutely do. When we're sitting here doing a hot take and we're looking for points to make in the podcast, you do tend to find you naturally gravitate towards points like that and clunky dialogue like that. As I look back at the episodes, I don't really remember the clunky dialogue. And so perhaps we did focus on them more than we would if we were a casual viewer. That That is the danger sometimes. You know, it's, it's that observational principle of observing the thing uh, can affect how you see the thing. Yeah, I think at the time, if I recall, you said uh, the way the character expressed themselves was more like they were reading their entry from the Doctor Who encyclopedia to Yaz, basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm Zog from Planet Zog, and this is what happened to our planet over the last hundred years, blah, 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 blah. And it was just all exposition and very, you know, yeah, Doctor Who dictionary-like, and it's like, mm, there are better ways to do this. Yeah, I still do think it was clunky, but I care a lot less a week later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Martin continues, I think the episode was a good fun adventure with potential story arcs running through it plus character development. Looking forward to the Rosa Parks episode and your next hot take. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Martin. Uh, the final email we have on the Ghost Monument is from Peter Dedman. I mostly agree with Dave on this. I'm, I'm liking this guy. <laughs> I mostly agree with Dave on this. It was nice to see a good old-fashioned space adventure. 
The absence of Moffat is clear and welcome, in that there's no magical deus ex machinas and there's a clear line through. I agree that Yaz completely has been overshadowed and does not need to be there. I've been a fan of Graham and Ryan so far. Jodie has a nice presence on screen, and I'm enjoying that she's clearly different from her predecessor, and they're not playing up the gender thing yet. On the other hand, agree about her near breakdown. That seemed, dare I say, a stereotypical thing to give her as a woman, so I'm glad it has only been a one-off. Looking forward to further episodes, thanks, and looking forward to your new shows. So we've just been saying we're in the minority, but I guess there, Peter agreed with the point I'm making and had similar concerns. Look, given that he agreed with me, I don't really have anything to say other than thanks. Any points from you, Rob? Oh, look, I I just returned to my point that it was weird that, you know, the TARDIS was always going to appear, you know, 15 seconds later. There was no need for her to to go into that moment of doubt because what what was the payoff? It was like, oh, I've let you all down. Oh, there's the TARDIS. (laughs) Let's go. Yeah, I I don't know what was the point. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know whether it was meant to show a certain sense of vulnerability or something. It just kind of fell too far. But look, we've discussed it. It didn't seem to be a big problem with most people. So fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've said all I have to say on the Ghost Monument. Even from a distance, I still enjoy it. It actually hasn't changed much in my view. Yeah, look, for me, again, a slight revision down, but only a very slight one. As you say, good fun adventure. There are things I'd do differently. There are, you know, little tweaks here and there. But uh, look, on the whole, it wasn't an own goal by any means. No, no, I thought it was a very good episode. Hmm. So we're now on to Rosa, which uh, you have spoken about. And I listened on the flight back from Canberra this morning. Oh, very good. Do you want to know what I thought? Dave, what did you think of Rosa? In fact, Dave, before you begin, as I've said on Twitter, Steve and I recorded our words of the week for rosa they were in the episode when we got to the end of the episode we forgot to go back and explain what our words of the week were so i went and edited that bit out of the start of the show you'd never notice you'd never think we mentioned it (laughs) now dave i don't know if you've got a word of the week for rosa Uh, i do you do oh fantastic because i can say here just like i said on twitter steven's word for rosa was lids that's l-i-d-s and my word was heritage. What was yours, Dave? Titanic. Titanic. Shall we come back at the end of talking about Rosa and actually give our words of the week? <laughs> let's let's do that and let's not forget. Okay. Rob, I really enjoyed this episode. I agree with what I think is a broad consensus that it was the best of the three so far. I certainly think it was the best written of the three so far. I'm not in the camp that says it's the best episode of New Who or indeed all of Doctor Whoever. No. There are, there are some faults I had with it, but it certainly had an emotional impact. It certainly raised the, the tension well. The characters were very good. And, and certainly its heart and its message was a fundamentally important one that was very worthwhile telling. We've discussed earlier about how this is echoing the the heart and lyra in many ways i can remember being a boy and and reading the marco polo target novel when i was about nine or ten and then going to the local library and looking for books about marco polo and learning more about this guy if out of this more kids go and google i guess rather than look in the local library but go and seek out and learn more about rosa parks specifically but the civil rights movement more generally mm. that's a wonderful thing to come out of this and it's, it's really really good 
I might give my um, sports desk comments on this, so that because I think the other comments I have to make fall very neatly within them. Okay. So my play of the week was the scene right near the start where Ryan goes to pick up the gloves and and gets punched and then works out what's going on. That to me was not a nice moment, and it's not getting its play of the day because I enjoyed it. But it gets my play of the week because I so because it so very quickly and clearly established the wickedness of segregation, mm. how it can affect someone so personally, how evil it is, but also the the helplessness that you would feel because this is not just wickedness by individuals. This is wickedness by the state. This is wickedness in legislation by a government. Mm-hmm. So no matter how oppressed you feel, the system and the society that is meant to assist you with it is also working against you. And and to summarise all of that feeling in a one-minute scene, I thought was incredibly powerful. And, and that was actually the moment that for me... Uh, you know, it, it didn't make me tear up or anything like that. That's, that's not something. But that's the one that sort of really got my heart beating and made me sort of feel a bit more emotional. And so I, I give that the, the play of the week. Yeah, look, that that's really well said. And certainly the the tension actually went up because, you know, this is a real situation. You know, that guy punching him on the nose would probably love to string Ryan up from a tree or his mates would, you know. Um, whereas- and, and, and the cops would turn the other way. Yeah. Yeah, and you know that's what would happen. Whereas on an alien planet, it's all a bit, oh, la-di-da, it's aliens, you know, laser guns, hey, you know, space adventure. <laughs> it's, it's, it doesn't feel the same as when you're seeing something that you really, really know is a terrible, terrible moment. No, absolutely. My player of the week, and you and Steve did predict it in your episode, has to be Ryan. That was just an amazing performance all the way through. Mm. And, and, and And this is just again I repeat that I'm very much on team Ryan and he was fantastic in this episode and I think anybody who'd watched it would would see why yeah uh, my foul of the week look I came very close to um, also nominating the asteroid this idea that you show the influence of Rosa Parks by her having an asteroid named after her is just <laughs> utterly nonsense you know show show something far more tangible or talk about the inspiration for generations to come, talk about how the movement to desegregate schools in that era led to better lives for children and adults, you know. They say something, but, well, she had a great effect on the world because they named a floating rock after. That was nonsense. <laughs> but that's not my foul of the week. Ooh. My foul of the week is the way that they disposed of the bad guy, um, Christos, Kastos? Cresco. Uh, Cresco. Like sounds like a Buffy villain, doesn't it? Yeah, or, or some cooking oil or something. <laughs> oh, that's Crisco. My mistake. They, dis- they they disposed of the villain by essentially having him mouth a few lines of dialogue and then they just sort of said, well, it's time for you to go. We'll shoot you with our plot device gun and, and away you go. Mm. To me, this meant that there was two problems. One, I felt as though there was no lesson learned and it would have, I think, been better if there'd been some recognition or something that maybe this guy was wrong and that maybe he acknowledged he was wrong, I should say, and that could have been more powerful. The other thing I have is that if this episode, as it is, is reminding us not just about the fight against racism 
that occurred in the 1950s and how important that was to having the society we have today, but is a reminder that this is a fight that must continue to happen and that we must always be on the lookout for this. We must always push back against segregation and racial prejudice. To me, the most important way you do that is by having an argument out in the open. To me, the best way to defeat a bad idea or a wrong idea or a wicked idea is to expose it to sunlight, to let it be aired, and then to prove it wrong. Mm. And I think what's going wrong in society now is that where people are having these views, rather than debating them and showing them to be the foolish, ridiculous, wicked views they are, we just shut them down and try to pretend they're not happening. And we've seen that in a number of debates in Australia these last few years. You know, people go, well, that, that, that debate, we shouldn't even be having it. Don't even give your view. You're not allowed to give your view. It's wrong. Mm. You should be letting them give their view and proving that they're wrong. Sunlight and free speech are the best disinfectant. So I actually thought that was a very tone-deaf moment in what was otherwise an incredibly well-toned message. Uh, as others have pointed out, and, and, and Nathan in the Jody into Terror podcast did it very very well summed this up very very well it was most important that rosa parks had an internal motivation and she wasn't inspired by the doctor she wasn't motivated by the doctor she stood on her own the doctor kind of just got out of the way and let her do her thing that was really really tonefully done so yeah that's a long way of going around and saying that's my one big tonal fault with an otherwise very good episode with very good characters um but it's an important point i wanted to make yeah, and look, completely agree that it couldn't come from the Doctor. I'd said similar in our episode. Like, could you imagine if this was in the Tenet era or something? He'd make some big speech, like, you oh, know... Oh, you, you can imagine, oh, Rosa Parks, the most special woman ever. You've got to do... <laughs> oh, I can, I can imagine it happening. Yeah, you've got to stand up to them, Rosa. You've got to, you know, and... oh, yeah. you, you don't realise now what this gesture is going to be, but in hundreds <laughs> of years' time, people are going to talk about the moment when you did this. And like, no, no, yeah. no, no. Oh, there's even an asteroid named after you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, look, very well said, Dave, and I, I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page with this. You know, there are people out there who don't like this episode. They think it was too preachy, too uh, SJW. And I think, well, where did you get that from? I don't think it was preachy at all. I'd be the first person to say, oh, I think that was a bit preachy. But it really wasn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I didn't feel it was preachy at all. It, it showed an important event and, um, a, and made it a character-driven story. I mean, it made it about the reactions of the characters to it, you know, how Ryan reacted to it, how Graham reacted to it. And Graham is a straight white man, but how he you know, showed his discomfort with it was very important. Mm. And, and I, think, I think it would have resonated with a lot of other people i mean you know dare i say as someone who is not a straight white man although i could never compare my life experience with anything remotely close to segregated america mm. there were echoes of that that i could you know personally appreciate and i suspect a lot of other people did as well particularly a lot of doctor who fans yeah and and yeah i, I think if they had blown it up it could have been but it, it wasn't it it was at the end of the day a story about how the characters reacted to this bit of history you know, there, of course, I said how Graham and Ryan reacted. Yaz was in this episode, wasn't she? <laughs> she was. <laughs> and she had more to do than the first two episodes before you take that any further. She yeah, was but it better. was done in montage. They took her entire plot thread and did it in montage. <laughs> true, true. I mean, yeah, I'm, we're three episodes deep now, and look, I think you flagged that next episode will be probably the Yaz episode. 
if it's not, we're going to have to start worrying about this character. Yeah. Maybe it's Yaz who's getting bumped off. Maybe maybe that's what Mandip Gill was alluding to in our news segment, you know, that not all the companions make it. Maybe she's referring to herself. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Uh, so they're my thoughts. We've had a couple of emails. Yes, we have. And uh, I think you got the first one. This is from Wanda, a long-time listener and friend of the podcast. I absolutely love the episode. I know I'm totally nitpicking here. However, the only annoying part for me is when the Doctor said to Ryan, don't touch this, but let me show you how it works. And that just made me cringe a little. Knew it was going to show up later, but that's a very tiny detail compared to the whole episode. Yes, and uh, Wanda had alluded to this in the tweet she sent us for the hot take. And it's it's the scene if people are, are struggling to place it where the, the Doctor's got Crasco's gun uh, it's not really a gun. It's just something that shoots you back into the past. Uh, no, because you can't have a gun because you've got a limiter like Gan had in Blake 7. Yes, that's exactly right. And the Doctor, of course, shows this to Ryan, but you know it's going to come up later on. It comes up later on. Ryan shoots someone. I want to ask you, Dave, uh, in two out of two episodes now, the past two episodes, Ryan has been an angry young black man and has had a gun and he's been running around with it. Uh, both with the uh, the robots and now with Crasco. He, he faces him down, he, he blows him away, blows him back to the past, quite literally. Uh, I think in both cases he was justified doing what he was doing. In the first, he was trying to protect his friends uh, and have a little bit of fun like a video game, I guess. And in the next one, he was sending a space Nazi back to uh, a golden age that never existed, as Steve told us on the last episode. But is it perhaps going to be problematic if Ryan keeps popping up as an angry young black man with a gun? Yeah, I think two is not a pattern. If it happens a third time, that's a conversation that needs to happen. Um, and that's, that's kind of all I've got to say about that. Mm. Yeah, it's just something I'd seen out there on the internet, a bit of chat, and I, I'd been rolling it around in my head too, thinking, yeah, yeah, what is that? Is that going to go somewhere? Is it going to happen again? It might not. <laughs> One thing that since I've, I've watched the episode and I've gone back and thought about it and I noticed was a lot of people are assuming that Kraskus got sent back to you know the Jurassic era to hang out with... Um, Grover and Professor Whitaker or whatever <laughs> but it did occur to me that if he was sent back to you know the 13th century or the 10th century even without his technology somebody with his knowledge walking around in 10th century earth could actually do a huge amount of harm and maybe it wasn't a very wise move or maybe I'm overthinking it no, I think you're quite right. He, he would know, you know, advanced mathematics, you know. Even someone from his era who knows basic mathematics would be so much more advanced than the average person in the 10th century, it wouldn't be funny. So I, I completely get you. He could do a lot of damage just with knowledge. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Anyway, moving on, Shane Rove has written us another epic, and I think there's a lot of good stuff to tease out of this one, Dave. Hello again, episode three, Rosa. Well, preachy. Soapbox. No doubt they'll be the main criticisms aimed at this. Of that, I am sure. There might be others. The time interference plot might be picked apart. But I'm guessing most, who really don't want this show to succeed, or this production team to have a win, or see this Doctor do well, will go on about how the show just shoves all this racism stuff down your throat, telling you how you should feel. Blah, blah, blah. Well, not me. I've literally just come from watching this straight to my keyboard, and all I can think as I wiped a tear from the corner of my eye, the strains of that Rise Up tune played over the closing credits still in my ears, is this is what makes me proud to be a Doctor Who fan. 
And I'll stop there because I know I've got a point to make here. And that's uh, in our hot take, Stephen said his foul of the week was the song that played at the end of the episode. And, you know, he didn't like the way it just sort of boomed out and then played over the credits and was, you know, maybe sort of outstaying its welcome. Uh, probably about, oh, less than 20 minutes after we recorded that hot take and I was busy editing it and Stephen was out on social media talking to people. Uh, he realized that that Rise Up tune is kind of the unofficial anthem of Black Lives Matter. And he realized the significance of it and realized why it was there. And it changed things completely for him. And he got on social. He said, look, I've just said this was, you know, my foul of the week. Oh, my God. Uh, I get it now. I see why that's important. Completely changed my mind. So for people who heard that episode, uh, Stephen has actually changed his mind on that, knowing what he knows now about the tune. Interestingly, I don't know the song well, but I did recognise it because of its use in uh, a series by Dustin Lance Black, uh, Tom Daly's husband, uh, who did a series um, called When We Rise, which was a, a four-part uh, drama chronicling the rise of the gay rights movement in the US. Mm. And it was used it was used there, so I did recognise it and it did have some resonance there. I liked its use during the episode, I, however, do agree that its use in the closing credits was a punch too far. And I think in an episode that had been very classy and had told a very important story and a very important message without being preachy, it was just a little bit too over the head for me. Um, so I, I actually agree with Steve's original point, but totally understand why he, why he changed it. Yeah, because I think back to Vincent and the Doctor, which uh, we both compared this to on the hot take, and that certainly has the banging tune at the end, you know, that starts playing. But I think it had the actual credits music. It didn't continue into the credits. It didn't really outstay its welcome. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, I agree. Yeah. Shane continues, I watched it with my wife. And yes, although she did say it was a bit preachy, she did enjoy it. And she said she loved how this show was doing what Doctor Who had originally been designed to do way back in 1963. It educates as well as entertains. Like last week's lesson on how acetylene is combustible and being a lighter than air gas sits above pockets of oxygen allowing for an escape ploy, this week we are versed more in the life story of the great Rosa Parks. I, for one, who knew of this woman, never knew the name of the bus driver or the time frame for change or that she was friends with Dr. Martin Luther King. I consider myself an aficionado of history, but mainly Australian history, not the American civil rights movement. So this was enlightening to me. This is what I enjoyed about Doctor Who as a kid. If I didn't learn things directly from it, then my interest was at least piqued enough to study more. How and where did the Great Fire of London start? Why was Magna Carta so important? Was there really an Egyptian god called Sutek? What was London like at the time of Jack the Ripper? Is there really a flower known as the Black Orchid? All of this and so much more. That, to me, is essential Doctor Who, and I saw that here in episode three. Uh, I'll simply stop there and just say I agree with Shane 100%, and that's exactly the point I was making. Yeah. And Dave, you know, before this series started, people, were, some people were getting uptight that Chibnall was going to teach them history and, you know, tell them what to think and so on. Do they just seem a bit crazy now after this first episode of, uh, in a, of a historical nature has gone out? Yes. <laughs> Good answer. Yeah. 
Taking away the time criminal, I forget his name. As to the rest of the story, the Doctor to me is just getting better every time I see her. She is the Doctor. Of that, there is no doubt. I did not see anything from tonight's performance that did not seem out of character in any way whatsoever, and I thought all the companions were given just the right amount of room to breathe and expand upon their own stories. For those who say Yaz is a third wheel, though I liked what she did last week, surely she was given more this week, yeah? I mean, she even did her police thing with bits of string matching events, times, and places. Ryan was cool, and Graham, well, I just love Graham, the anguish on his face at the end when he so wanted to, if not come to Rose's aid, not be there to witness such vile bigotry, was so well played. And the Doctor, oh, perfecta mundo. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Fonzie line, isn't it, Dave? <laughs> I think so, yes. I think Fonzie used to say that. Uh, from the off, seeing her reactions to how her new friends were being treated and her stoic resolve to stay on the bus and witness the culmination of events reminded me of Hartnell's performance in the Aztecs. It went so against every fibre of her being, but she had to let history do its thing. Brilliant. This is definitely, in my view, Jodie's best performance. Uh, I, I am not yet sold on her, but I was a lot further sold after this one, I do agree. Okay. He continues, So if the episode is too preachy and on its soapbox, then I, for one, am happy to be in the congregation getting my sermon. I'm a Doctor Who fan because of episodes like this, and I will be for an incredibly long time to come. Loved it. Again, thanks for your great podcast. I enjoy your hot takes. I don't always 100% agree with you guys, but I just love that you are such real, honest fans. Can't wait to hear your review and look forward to conversing with you again. Cheers from Shane. Uh, well, thank you, Shane. And it's a point that I made on social media myself after seeing it is that looking at all the stuff that was highlighted here with segregation and racial prejudice, how wonderful it is to look at Doctor Who's legacy, particularly the classic series, where you have a story like the Daleks. Its second ever story is about not judging by appearance and, and getting past that sort of thing. You have a story like The Ark, which I've waxed lyrical about many times before, where its whole moral is about not being racist, it's about treating species equally and, and travelling with understanding as well as hope. And you get that all the way through to something like Remembrance of the Daleks, which is not just a classic fun adventure with lots of Daleks doing cool stuff, but it is at its heart an anti-racist homily. And, and so Doctor Who has consistently done this, and I think Rosa does fit very nicely in that canon. Oh, look, really well said. Look, I, I feel I've said I said so much in that episode with Steve, I won't go on about it, but I really, really enjoyed this episode. Good. All right, which leaves our words of the week. We're not going to forget this time around, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I might give Steve's first. His was very intriguing. Lids, L-I-D-S. Can you think out there what he meant? What he meant was that this show has a heart, or hearts, as big as dustbin lids. Okay. <laughs> well, that is true. That is definitely true. I would not have made that connection, but very true. Yeah. Uh, for me, Dave, my word was heritage, and it was simply that I think Doctor Who went back to its heritage. Uh, and look, we've just spoken about that a few times here, talking about the Hartnell era, uh, teaching history, making people keen to go and pick up uh, a book or Wikipedia or whatever it might be to learn about things learn people learn it's so important heritage for me so my word was titanic and this is because when it was first mooted 20 years ago now that james cameron would make a movie about the titanic <laughs> the joke was well what's the point everybody knows knows how it ends the ship sinks yes but the point is that it's not the event it's the way the characters react 
Rosa, yeah, you know the way that this episode is going to end. You know exactly what Rosa Parks is going to do. But that's irrelevant. It's a, as I said, it's about the way the characters react. And if you can feel emotional about it while still knowing how it's going to end, then that's an incredibly effective piece of television. And that's what happened here. And 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 look, you could argue the history of it. Um, had it not been Rosa Parks, you know, there were others doing the same thing. And and you know, Martin Luther King would still have done his thing, regardless. So it's. It's a stretch, but for the sake of telling the story, so I excuse, and that's why I didn't bring it up earlier. But mm. yeah, to, to, as, as, as I say, if you know how it's going to end and you're still emotionally invested in getting there, it's done its job. Titanic, the movie, did that, and this episode of Doctor Who did that. Yeah, really well said. And now we look forward to the next episode, which people will be hearing our hot take on, you know, just a couple of days after they hear this. Uh, and that's Arachnids in the UK, Dave, which I guess is a play on anarchy in the UK, although I don't think it's a story about punk rockers. I assume that that's the pun they were going for. There were a few people on Twitter I saw who uh, haven't ever heard of anarchy in the UK, so <laughs> oh, went <no>. over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'd be fun if it had punk rockers in it. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, uh, Arachnids in the UK, I guess there's spiders in it. I hope so. I'll be disappointed if there aren't. <laughs> so, Rob, before we go, a couple of upcoming plugs. The same day that this episode drops, uh, also will drop the next episode of the New To Who podcast, where I will be talking with Steve and Dan. Steve, of course, on the podcast last week. Uh, I'll be talking with Steve and Dan about a Hartnell story, The Tenth Planet. And we recorded that way back in January, and I can't remember anything I said, so I'm looking forward to hearing it back. Um, so if you enjoyed listening to Steve in the previous hot take, um, you get to hear me talk to him about the 10th planet if you check out New to Who. Yeah, I was a bit that way with the Enlightenment episode I did with him. By the time it came out, I, I was like, it was like I was listening to a different person talking. <laughs> it was fantastic. Now, we also have, coming out over the next month, as well as our hot takes every week, and of course another monthly episode similar in format to this one in November, in the middle of November we will be releasing a special, mm. which we recorded uh, recently. Uh, it's with two very special guests we were very glad to be able to have on the podcast. I'm not going to spoil the surprise yet of who those guests are, but I will give you a clue. And I'll tell you that the title of that special is The Podcast of Decision. Mm. And something else we can say is this was recorded in person. All four of us were in the same room. Yes, it was. It was a very enjoyable experience and uh, I hope our listeners will enjoy that. So that will be out in the middle of the month. Yeah, look out for it. But until then, you'll hear us on Monday with uh, Arachnids in the UK. <laughs> I don't know what to expect there, Dave. <laughs> No, um, well, I expect spiders. That, that's yeah, what well. I expect. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from that, no idea. So until then, I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. 
This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.